Welcome back. I'm here with Preston Dennett. Today, we are going to discuss what to do if you have any sighting, paranormal, UAP, or otherwise. Welcome back, Preston. Thanks, John. Okay, so if you notice something unusual, let's 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 take it from the perspective of if if it's kind of an ambiguous sort of sighting. What kind of steps should you take to a document it and b at what point should you report it and to whom should you report it to? Yeah, well, the first thing I would recommend to anyone who sees anything in the sky is get another witness if it's still there. Get another witness because a simple unconfirmed sighting where you're doubting your own eyes can turn into a multi-witness case can turn into you know a very widely viewed case very quickly and if you can start calling people in other areas nearby you can triangulate it this would be you know probably not super likely because often these are very fleeting events but given the opportunity where you see something do not hesitate to get in. That would be the number one thing you should do. Second, you know, photograph it. We all have access now these days to a cell phone. And it's amazing how many cases there are of the stuff where people don't photograph it when they have the ability to do so. Why is that? Is that because I know there's, there's some cases where people see something, but they don't they feel it's almost as if they're they don't feel compelled to as part of that sighting do you have do you have a sense for what that what's driving yeah. that yeah i think there's a number of things guilty by the way of that because when i saw a very close-up sighting i did have a camera with me i didn't even think of it so i think one of the things is you are just so utterly amazed that it drives that from your mind you don't want to take your eyes off of it yeah, I think um, that would definitely be part of it. Another factor is they are often very fleeting events. And another is there's sometimes direct influence on the part of the ETs. They know. There was a case I interviewed of a guy who had a camera on the front seat. And each time he reached for it, something would happen. And he said it was the weirdest thing. Because I really wanted to take a picture, but for some reason I just couldn't. And I have a guy who had a camera and pointed it right at the thing and it powered down. And he took, pointed away and it powered up. Powered down when he pointed, powered up. He experimented with this in many cases where people have put their cameras up and boom, the power goes out. So there's direct influence there in some of these cases. But I would recommend that because a photograph is worth a more than you know when you see something like this. So this is assuming that you know you have the opportunity to get another witness or photograph it. And if you can even write, you know, a tape recorder, a running commentary. They did this with the Rendlesham Forest incident, and it proved to be very valuable evidence. Mm -hmm. It was the colonel, right? The colonel who was recording yeah. what he was Colonel Halt, right. Charles Halt, I think what's his name. Any way you can record it, even if you can just write it down and sketch it. Alan Godfrey, a police officer, quickly grabbed his sketch pad and drew the thing as it was there in front of him. Because memory is, you know, a tricky beast. It, it yeah. you know, it can be influenced very much by the passage of time and your own, 
own, you know, that police investigators have learned this when they do lineups and stuff. And that people can be very much influenced by the next thing that comes into their field of vision. People will- it's, it's like the phantom ape experiment, right? Where people are passing balls, right? And you tell people to focus on or to count how many times the ball has been passed. And you can walk a guy in a monkey suit or like a gorilla suit through that group and people won't see the gorilla. Exactly. Or you people, they've done all kinds of experiments with this where people will give a lecture about various topics or a news story with separate segments. People conflate the stories together. <laughs> so separating details into one segment that was not there. It was the other segment that was similar. But so this is just a fault of memory. So as soon as you can, write it down immediately afterwards. They've done this with a lot of UFO witnesses particularly with this, I wrote a book on schoolyard encounters. There was a case in Rua, Zimbabwe, where some 60 kids saw a UFO. Is that the Ariel school or is that the Australian? Okay, that's okay. It's the Ariel school. But it happened in Broadhaven and happened in a number of cases where the teacher is like, okay, you really saw this? You all sit down. They separated them and had them draw their, what they saw. And it ended up being very valuable evidence because it showed exactly the same pictures where these kids didn't have the opportunity to collude with each other. And this is, you know, something all investigators know of any field, whether it's, you know, criminal research or what have you, you write it down. And this is particularly important with UFO encounters, which have amnesia problems, not just with, you know, onboard experiences and missing time, but simple sightings. There was a case in England where a guy wrote it down and felt it leaving his head, and he would not have remembered it if he had not written down what he had seen. It was a simple sighting, and he forgot it. Then saw his papers like, oh, shoot, you know, I did see that. So this is, I mean, I can't emphasize it enough, write it down, even if it's a simple, I saw a UFO, because that can be enough to hold on to the memory. So number one, get a witness. Now, number two, record it in some way, even if it's a drawing or an audio tape or a camera or a written account. That's really important. And thirdly, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who've had these encounters, whether it's a sighting or a landing or a non-board encounter. And I always ask, well, did you call the police? You know, did you call MUFON? We're like, well, who's MUFON? You know, <laughs> Mutual UFO Network. One in a hundred. A quick question um, about calling the police. Is that generally advisable, given that if you do something like that, you're also, you may also be sending a signal to, you know, somebody else? It, it can be useful and sometimes not. In the Topanga Canyon wave, a bunch of people called the police. And it turned out that one of the officers there, you know, was very interested in this phenomenon, having received so many calls from this area, which was prevalent with UFO activity, and was very interested and wanted to investigate and come down there. I ended up calling them up 
they denied a lot of what I knew to be true. <laughs> so I caught them in basically a cover-up, whether it was advertent, you know, or inadvertent. I don't know. I can't Where say they got a call. Sure. They got a call from somebody else. <laughs> Where they got a call from somebody else saying, "Don't, don't ever speak of this again." Yeah, it's somewhat of a long story, but in a nutshell, I talked to a number of witnesses who called the police, and the police told them, oh, no one called us. And I know that's not true, because I talked to the people who called the police. And I got the police tape, was snuck out <laughs> by one of the officers. So, and then I found out, I interviewed one person who said, oh, we had a policeman at that dinner party, and he said, we receive 100 calls a year. And I said, no, you have to be mistaken. 100 calls over 10 years. He's like, no, it's 100 calls a year. And I said, okay, maybe. And later interviewed someone who turned out to be at that same dinner party and listened to the same officer and said, oh, there was an officer at this one dinner party I was at. And he said we received 100, that he received 100 calls a year. So, well, getting off on a tangent. Uh, yeah. Ken, yeah I mean, some of those calls are going to be, you know, some crazies, right? But calling the police can be useful because they might provide you yeah. information like, yes, someone called us or provides a record, you know, because people will say, well, when did this occur? And like, well, I don't know, it was sometime in August. Well, you, you know, the, poli the police record all of this stuff. They record all their calls. And no, they don't generally handle UFO reports. They will refer you to MUFON or say, don't, you know, call the Air Force who will do the same thing in most cases, though not always. I've had people call the Air Force and the Air Force officers showed up and took their testimony and were absolutely interested in what they saw. One guy called them up and hung up on them. They immediately called him back. This was long before caller ID was a thing. <laughs> he was like, how did you get hold of me? And they said, well, we have our ways. You know, Of course, they had the, that ability, I'm sure, long before it was public. But yeah, report it. One in a hundred, and I'm being generous here, report their sightings. And almost nobody will report if they saw an alien. They're not going to tell anybody. Are you kidding? They don't even tell their spouse. So keep a diary, write it down, record it, call somebody, leave some paper trail somewhere. That would be my advice in, in, during and immediately after an encounter. What about ambiguous experiences where, you know, you're, you're not sure of, you know, you saw what you saw? Write it down still, even if it's just a title, a little note, like thought I saw, you know, saw a light <laughs> because, you know, a week might go by and your neighbor's like, gosh, you know, I had the weirdest experience. I saw a light hovering over your house. And then you can go back, like, what day was that? Because <laughs> I've had this happen. You know, there there's many cases of this where people have gotten confirmation from neighbors or friends or other witnesses in the area. And like June 14th, 1992 was a wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon. And people were seeing stuff all over the canyon. And none of nobody knew that everyone else was seeing this. And I was able to eventually locate 30-some adult witnesses in separate locations on that one night. So boy, were they delighted to find other testimony on that, you know, that corroborated what they saw. So this can be really important in terms of your own well-being, you know, your own mental sanity, because 
I feel really sorry for people who are single witnesses and encounter this stuff because they do doubt you. When you see this stuff, it your head does weird things. And having experienced this myself, I know what witnesses are talking about when they say, well, I didn't want to call the UFO. First, I'm like, is that a helicopter? You know, is, is this ball lightning? You know, what is it? They don't want to say it's a UFO. And then it's done. And they're like, well, shoot. And they, you know, they will deny it. People absolutely deny this ever happened. If it does not fit their worldview. And if it's so far to the worldview, they won't even remember it or acknowledge it or think about it. This is sort of one of the causes of the missing time phenomena. I think it's not necessarily. It's not that. It's not. It's not them. It's the. It's the experiencer because they just kind of. It's like a traumatic response, basically. Yep. yep. It's the human mind saying, "I'm not seeing that." That's not true. <laughs> you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. This is not the droid you're looking for. I mean, there's a, a weird influence to the human mind. Where if it's something super traumatic or super out of your knowledge base or worldview, you don't perceive it correctly. And there was talk about how Captain Cook visited the islands of Hawaii and natives saw ships for the first time. I think this is where that story comes from. They did not recognize them as being, you know, ships. Something along those lines. But the important thing is to, to trust your judgment. You know, trust your yes, you did see that. You know, write it down, and then you'll know that something did occur. So that's when it occurs, and immediately afterwards, there are so, certain things you should do. So. Take us to like, let's say you reach reach out to MUFON. What happens? What happens in that instance? How does that work? Yeah, well, a MUFON researcher will generally first try to determine if this is a case worth investigating. Because if a person says, well, there was a green light on one side and a red light on the other and a white one in the middle, and I heard an engine noise. <laughs> Yeah, we can throw this away as a conventional vehicle almost immediately. So do people actually report those like things like that? Yeah, Venus. <laughs> but, but there are people who've lived their entire lives in the city and have never seen a shooting star. I had this actually yeah. happen. I'm like, have you ever seen a UFO? And this guy's just going, yeah, this thing darted across the sky. And so I started going down the list and I was impressed at first. I'm like, wow. This is all... And then I started talking about shooting stars. He's like, what's that? I'm like, well, you've heard of shooting stars. He's like, well, yeah. he had never seen one. Well, that's, that's the other thing too. People could easily, like, could, because stars pulsate too. Right? Yes. Yeah. Venus is a like, big I'm pulsate. so familiar with my backyard sky that because i go out there every night and look out that i know that like that way there's going to be a big red star and it's going to pulsate like it's like right above the you know you're near, near near the airport i know that the airport there's going to be a red light that pulsates right that's kind of just beneath my hill that i'll be able to see right it just flashes yeah. back and forth if you see a hovering light go out there the next night make sure it's not there again there again yeah. And that it's not Venus. You can look this up fairly easily these days. Yeah, Venus. Um, <laughs> it's either Venus or Saturn is like right in front of me. And it's always over the house. It's very bright. You can't miss it. 
Yeah. Right. I, I was once driving down the road and I'm like, wow, look at Venus. <laughs> it's huge. It's like twice. And I'm staring at it. This is the freeway on the way home from work. I'm staring at it. I'm like, God, it's bright. And I'm looking at it. And then I looked over to the left. I'm like, oh, well, there's Venus. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking back at this thing. And I'm, I don't know what it was. It's that sort of ambiguous thing. I can't do much with it, but it was there in the sky. And I don't think it was a balloon. I don't think, it clearly wasn't a plane. It wasn't anything I could say what it was. Uh, and everyone had to be seeing this, but they weren't even looking. So, uh, yeah. Well, I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of anecdotal reports there, too, where something will happen that's unambiguous to an experiencer, like in the middle of a crowded freeway, and no one else will notice it. Yep. I talked to a lady who was at a restaurant on an outdoor patio with her boyfriend, and they saw this UFO. Honest to God, dramatic, full on. Everyone turned and looked at it, and it darted off. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God. And everyone just went back to eating like nothing happened. And I've heard this in other cases. I mean, what was your what's your interpretation of the event? They all saw it. They freaked. They 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 were got excited and then suddenly forgot, or they just. I wish I could talk to them and I could give you an answer. There was another guy. I wrote a book about sightings over drive-in theaters of all places. That turns out this is a thing. UFOs have mm. dropped down over drive-in theaters. I've got a hundred cases. Any so. any of them in Barstow? Very possibly, there's. I couldn't. I don't recall. There, there, I don't know if it's still there, but there's a drive-in theater out in the desert in Barstow, California. I got one again at, at the Terrace Drive-in in Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look it up because there was a lot of them. But one case comes to mind: Scott Santa. I interviewed him. He's had a giant craft come over the theater, black the movie out. Blacked the snack stand out, blacked everything out. People got out of their cars. They were staring at this thing. And it went overhead. Everything went back on. And he completely forgot it. Everyone forgot it. They all went back into their cars, continued to watch the movie. Nothing happened. It was a year later he saw a UFO book. And blunk, this memory came back into his head. It's like, shoot, I saw this. So this happens. This is one of the memory things that is really funky when it comes to UFOs, which is why you should write it down. You know, that I had an orb sighting myself, which where an orb came right in front of my car. I saw it. It's right in front of my windshield. It darted around, went back up. I forgot it. Left my mind. I should have turned around and told my brother and sister-in-law. And I didn't. <laughs> Uh, it was a month or two later. I'm like, wait a second. That happened. I think I may have had missing time, honestly. I really do. <laughs> I'm gonna... Meanwhile, I made a, I made a, I made a video reconstruction of it. Did, did I tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't that wasn't that uh, hard, but I did it the thick day. I mean, I I I, re I recorded the sighting and you know i was interviewing another guest and then as soon as that was over when i edited the video i did i created a reenactment because it really was you just take a picture of the backyard or record the backyard and then you just edit in 
Right. You know, again, it's it happened so fast that I I still don't know whether like how to trust my perception. And so I just tried to record it. I made sure to check the time because it was so bizarre. And then just to record everything that happened around it. So or just to try to recount everything that happened around it, like what my state of mind was. Was I tired or not? Wasn't tired. I'm obviously not on any medication or anything like anything like that, but it happened so fast that it might even like I say half a second. It might even be, it might have been have been even shorter than that because it was like uh, the lingering after effect that you have, like after like an, like an after image, right? Because it happened so fast that you have to try to piece it together. So, yeah. well, after you have a UFO encounter, that, yeah, report it. <laughs> And if it's a big one, you know, that definitely asks you all kinds of questions and want to know. Yeah, but again, it's ambiguous. As we were discussing kind of offline, these things tend to be ambiguous. So like people like me are hesitant to, you know, sure, I'll post it on YouTube, but like, you know, I wouldn't, police have plenty of other things to, to deal with. MUFON maybe, but I have to be much more confident and trusting in my senses before before I really, you know, report something as, as, as certain, right? Like that was enough that I'm trying to piece it together. This is an explanation of what, what I think happened. But again, we talked, you know, if somebody had shined a spotlight behind my house, you know, it could have been, could have been that it certainly wasn't a helicopter doing it because I would have heard the helicopter, but. Well, here's the point for all, you know, Sean, three doors down, this landed in someone's backyard and they're losing their mind. trying to figure out what's going on. They want another witness. They need corroboration, you know, and they're not going to report it. So many people don't report it. And if we had people report this, then MUFON or NUFARC would be like, okay, you know, I just got a call from someone two doors down. And, And so if you do have a setting, yeah, report it. Because they may say, well, listen, you know, we found out that there was a balloon launch on that area at that time or listen we got four reports tonight in your area that actually reminds me that we talked about some of those other things when i went to next door and looked at the the local area one of the things that was posted on one of these videos could very easily have been an illuminated balloon given the way that was hovering right so that's a great point all right well we'll see we'll see how how this whole thing evolves but i'm certainly taking notes and writing down dates right i could tell you it was august 24th friday i think it was a friday or saturday morning whenever august 24th was happened between the hours of 1 and 2 a.m pacific time very clear skies clear night and you don't even have to report it you can go to mufon if you're a member or new fork the national ufo reporting center and look up their database time and date and location and see if there oh, are really? other reports. Yeah. What, 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 I mean, how do you become a member of just sign up on the website? They You pay the $20 fee or 40 yearly fee for their little journal and the ability to browse their database, which is quite extensive. So again, I have a very paranoid mind. Is Is this some way for the government to... Yes. <laughs> Track you? <laughs> yeah. This has been a problem with this field. 
every UFO citizens group has had real problems with government officials. It started with AFRO, the first one, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, which was direct, came under direct observation by the CIA. It, they proved this. They found it out from people within government who they were friends with and caught a CIA agent, you know, actually in their offices taking some of their stuff. And this happened with uh, numerous UFO groups. NICAP, National Investigative Committee of Aerial Phenomena, fell apart due to this sort of thing. MUFON has definitely have government in it. There's a lot of people who are quite upset about, you know, MUFON in terms of its changes of ownership. And, you know, some of the guys who headed it were military intelligence. I mean, come on. It's blatant. It's clear that it's a, a way to monitor what's going on. Yeah, and part, uh, and part uh, of it is you know, but, is non-UFO related too, right? They have weapons programs that they're working on and they want to monitor to make sure that people don't spot these craft. And if they do, uh, again, they could be jet engine, you know, jet propulsion, et cetera. But it's a way for them to monitor whether or not there's yeah. been leaks leaks related to that. So it's not entirely inimical, or sorry, inimical, but... No, I support um, MUFON. You know, I do. I'm a member. I became a field investigator for them. I took their test because there's an enormous number of really good people in this community. It's a good resource for researchers and experiencers alike. And so is New Fork. But that doesn't mean it's perfect. And and I am not going to, you know, go down a paranoid avenue saying they're all there to watch us because I don't think that's true. Of course, do, of course not. Right, right. No, but I do think that they're, you know, it's purely logical and absolutely almost um, inescapable that this would be used to monitor what's going on. And I, there are, I know there are people within MUFON and other organizations who are really upset about some of the stuff that's going on there. I've seen files disappear from their database. <laughs> I know because I took screenshots of it and then went back. And I'm like, hey, and I've talked to people who recorded, you know, sent files to them, both organizations, and they're not there in the database and, and were there at one point. So I don't know entirely how to. to I mean, it's almost like if you tracked those lost files, it's almost as if you've either recorded evidence of non-human you know UA, you know, ufo phenomena craft whatever or you those files contain evidence of a you know cl classified program that the government wasn't what you see is probably you know examples of both but yeah. it's like it's almost as if the, the snapshots that you've taken are probably the most interesting cases right if the government wanted to make that data disappear yeah i don't know i don't i'm not going to characterize why they did it because i don't know for sure but i do know that this happens and i'm concerned about it because it's not truthful and transparent and just recently the navy said flat out yes we have a bunch of videos and we're not releasing them due to national security reasons so that was a flat out on honest to truthful you know 
statement from the Navy saying, we're not doing this. We have it, but we're not going to show you. And there's probably some percentage of why that would be a like percentage of files or evidence why that would be a good idea. But there's probably some other stuff. And again, the reason that you that you would do that is maybe there's some sensor technology that we have where we can capture certain aspects of the phenomenon that the Navy doesn't want the Chinese or the Russians to see, for example. But as militaries do the world over, whenever they want to keep things they want to keep things simple so by making a broad declaration like that to protect the 3% sensor information that they want to protect they'll just blanket deny all of it i think what did they, what did, didn't they push it out for another 50 years or something like that i, I can't remember exactly what they did or well, that was the british case that was the british the begins with the c cal calvine oh yeah where they, I think, classified it for another 50 years or something. Yep, I know about that photo. I don't know about it in terms of its, its not, legitimacy, honestly. But that's another story. Interesting. Uh, but, but yeah, following a UFO encounter, report it because it could be helpful to you and others. And as the days go by, there are other things you can probably should do depending on the nature or extent to start keeping a journal, journal of, of what's happening and yeah ask your neighbors ask around you know you can do this discreetly without mentioning the word ufo did you see anything anything weird you know, how, you know anything unusual happen you don't have to say ah guess what i'm an, i've been was abducted by aliens did you see aliens <laughs> no just yeah. ask them you know open-ended questions ask other family members you know is because if this is something that's happening to you and you want to know what's going on it's very possible that it's happening to people around you and recording is important because this can be an event that is repetitive so we used to think that if someone saw a ufo as a once in a lifetime event in terms you know best this is what investigators thought and then they started calling what they called the repeater problem. People were reporting UFOs over and over again. I thought these people are nuts. But no, it's, they're not nuts. These are contactees who are experiencing this regularly. So, And there are case after case after case of people who wake up to this in midlife. Whitley Strieber is a good example, who denied, explained away, refused to think about unusual events in his life all the way up until his mid-30s, I think it was, when it just, he couldn't ignore it any longer. And then suddenly everything started making sense. He connected the dots. And he found out his parents had seen stuff, his brother, his neighbors. He lived in a hot spot. <laughs> all this stuff became apparent only after he started really looking into it. So this is something you can take proactive steps. If you have an encounter, write it down and be prepared for this to happen again. And so each time you write it down, this will help keep things straight in a chronology and memory-wise. And if you had an encounter with missing time, that's a yeah. whole other ball of wax. Yeah, definitely um, not to my not to my knowledge have I ever had something like that, but 
Yeah, but people do. Yeah. And, you know, there's other things you should do. Don't rush over and have hypnosis right away. <laughs> that would not be my recommendation. First, write down everything you can consciously recall. And for the audience, that's hypnotic regression therapy, right? Right. Which is an effective method if used correctly. And you use recall, the right person. Yeah. With, to recall suppressed memories and has been used by forensic investigators for and psychologists for child abuse and war trauma victims and witnesses to crimes who didn't remember everything, but like the license plate number or the color or the tattoos. And remember the show Mythbusters? Yeah. They decided to tackle hypnotic regression to see if it works. And they staged a little event for their cast where a guy comes running in and creates a ruckus and runs out. And they said, okay, everyone, that was a little thing we're doing today. This is our show. Write down what you saw. And everyone's like, oh, okay. Well, I think he had a yellow shirt. What was a shirt? No, don't talk to anyone else. Write down what you saw. And they did. And they said, okay, we're going to put you under hypnotic regression. And it worked. It worked really well. They recalled the tattoo. They recalled the color of the shirt. They recalled the guy's hair, what he said, which they did not recall consciously because it was an unexpected, sudden event that was quickly over and out of the ordinary, which makes memory recall difficult. It worked. It was accurate, is my point. It's not always accurate. There's been some real heavy-duty lawsuits which, where people recalled stuff under hypnosis from you know, unscrupulous psychiatrists who said, ah, oh, you were a victim of satanic ritual abuse. No, they weren't. <laughs> and they proved Or you it. were molested <laughs> by your parents, right? Like things like horrible things like that. Yeah. So used wrongly, it's it's not good. And that's why I don't generally recommend it. But if you do. You, and you then you have your pre-written account of your conscious memories. You know this is real. You remember it consciously. Because if you do not do that, and you go under hypnotic regression, you will immediately conflate those two together. And think, well, this was all conscious recall, or this was all hypnotic. No, no, no. Almost everyone who goes under regressive hypnosis to recall missing time has very clear conscious memories of all kinds of unusual activity. So I would very much encourage anyone who has an extensive encounter to really start first by writing it down, second, meditation, writing down your dreams as well. You know the Betty and Barney Hill case? Very yeah. famous. She remembered everything through her dreams and wrote them down and later went into hypnosis, and her dream recall was better, really, more detailed than her hypnotic regression. It was amazingly accurate. She remembered it all through dreams. Yeah, I have I have really weird, I mean, like, <laughs> don't really correspond with reality. I'm just I saying, it, it can be yeah. very effective. You know, when you dream something from your past, you're like, oh, I never, I hadn't thought about that in years. But you, you dreamt it. So this is just things that you can look into or do or consider in the event you have a major encounter. Because if you have close-up sighting, chances are very good you're going to have another. 
So this is something I want people to know about. <laughs> and I, you know, I wish people would do. I made the mistake myself not writing some of this stuff down. So I've learned my lesson. You do forget really prominent details to these events fairly quickly. And yeah, I think my issue is I have a very, my brain is very strong at correlating disparate, disparate data, right? Like I'll make connections that most people don't make, but sometimes I do that too well. In fact, I'll tell you something after we get off the call that will pique your interest, but it's just, it's probably just a highly correlated thing. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's, I think that's, that's helpful. And I think kind of maintaining some sort of a journal to record this stuff, at least to make sense of it too, right? It could just be correlated coincidences, right? Or not co uncorrelated coincidences, right? But just putting it down to paper, at least you keep a track record of things that might seem unconnected that over time you're able to make meaning of it. But again, the brain, one of the problems of the brain is we, was it pareidolia, right? We sometimes try to ascribe meaning where there is none. So faces yeah, and clouds and such. But yeah, that's right. as, a, as a researcher, you know, it's so much fun when you get corroboration from an outside source. There was a case where a UFO landed up on Playa del Rey Beach. And it's a classic case where three cars, you know, the engines stopped and there was landed saucer on the beach with two humanoid figures. And there's a lot of, you know, controversy about the case because, like, this is kind of outlandish. But using databases, I found out that, in fact, Long Beach, the, the, there was 100 reports of UFOs coming to the police officer station on that day. And also, the nearby Air Force Base, just down the way there, was detecting stuff on their radar on that same day. So this is, you know, perhaps not direct con you know, confirmation of that specific incident, but it certainly lends some credence to it, for sure, to know that there was so much activity going on in the same area at the same time as these guys reported an actual landed object with occupants. And if you have like a, something land in your backyard, you can go to Newfork, National UFO Reprint Center, and look up. Oh, hey. look, if I, if, I, if I had an unambiguous <laughs> event, I would absolutely record as much data and information as I possibly could, and I would definitely report it. But someone, my point is someone else's sighting is someone else's onboard experience. Yeah. Because they're coming down for someone. If you see a light come over your head, it's going somewhere. It's you know, so somewhere nearby, someone probably had a much more major encounter, assuming that this was a valid. Yeah, sighting. assuming assuming it wasn't a spotlight or or yeah. you know something something else, which is why which is why I'm hesitant to <laughs> to to go crazy on it just yet, right? Because you know, I used to possess a top secret security clearance, right? So I want to be sure. Like I want to be a hundred percent sure before. Yeah, I'm happy to make a YouTube video with kind of uh, this is what I think I saw, but if I'm going to put my name on a dotted line, I want to make sure like I know, right? And right now I'm in that ambiguous phase that I think we talked about offline. Like, sure, I see stuff that could be could be the phenomenon, but it could also there could also be mundane explanations for it. I think I've ruled out most mundane explanations, but the spotlight of somebody 
some random teenager came up behind my house with an extremely high powered flashlight, right? And just shined it my direction at that particular time. It could be that, right? Yep. Again, I didn't hear anything and it seemed to, it happened so fast. So I, like I said, I'm just going to start taking a, a journal and, and if things seem to progress and I get something that's a little bit more solid, you better believe I, I will report it because I'm looking forward to somebody coming to my house and threatening me because I want to, I want to say, let me see an ID. Let me see some ID. No ID. Go F yourself. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you could be some Yahoo off the street. I don't have to believe you. Get out of here. I don't yeah. think that's the approach they would take with me. I think they would try to use the uh, patriotism aspect. Yep. But yep. I, I'm I'm constantly amazed that people who are threatened like that never bother to ask for ID. Right? Like, who are you? Like, why are you at my house? You can't show me an ID? Get out. Like, I have nothing to say to you. You're going to threaten me? Okay, I'll call the police. Right. Yeah. And there appear to be a lot of cases like that. Right. Or at least back in the 50s. Yeah, certainly. That's true. Government officials showing up, <laughs> demanding all kinds of stuff. But Being but blessed. how do they identify? But, but like, how do they identify themselves? So do they actually show ID or they just say I'm a government official? In some cases, they will flash badges of some sort. But pe people, you know, don't have the like you say that. Presence of mind, or, or yeah, to really, you know, authority was a much bigger deal back in the fifties. You obeyed, <laughs> uh, right? But yeah, some of them will refuse to identify themselves. Yeah, if they just do, I'm just like, okay, well, <laughs> bye. <laughs> right? I, like, I could go to somebody's house and say, "I'm with the NSA. I'm here to do X, Y, and Z." You know, yeah. like, it's it's a crime to impersonate a government official. So. Yeah, there was one case where a guy did that, and he and you know they entered his house and were threatening. He ended up attacking them, tying them up. Turned out they were CIA. Well, that's the other thing too. The CIA is not supposed to be the CIA is not supposed yeah. to be operating. The CIA yeah. is not supposed to be operating on U.S. soil. They're supposed to be focused on yeah. foreign intelligence. Yeah, well, it may have been FBI, but it was some intelligence group. It's probably um, FBI, at least um, internal. But he ended up having to set them free because they were real honest to God agents. <laughs> and uh, it was a big to do. This That was a case from Leonard Stringfield, who was involved with the cold crash retrievals. And this guy was you know, telling his story when he shouldn't be. He was under an NDA, you know, non-disclosure. So, yeah, some people have suffered for talking when they're not supposed to be on the subject. Sure enough. All right, Preston, it has been a marathon evening and I it's probably it's close to 11 p.m. where you are, I'm guessing. So thank you very much for, again, selflessly, you know, volunteering your time to, to speak with me. And I appreciate it very much. So look forward to, you know, continuing to see what you learn in the future and you know, always love having you on the show. So thank you very much. <laughs> hey, always a pleasure. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.